Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimer. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast, and don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, brianclayman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Hello and welcome to Protecting Your Assets. I'm a lucky Luciano Cedroni, your host, and with me, my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Clayman, uh, just off of uh, a good podcast uh, from last time with uh, Phil Gursky talking about terrorism. Um, and this week, it's just the two of us again. I like these sessions because we're able to vent a little more and uh, get into get into our, our positions a little better than uh, than we do with when we have guests. We have to be a little more respectful, I guess, Brian. But uh, <laughs> yeah. having said yes, that, <laughs> we're going to be talking about deep fake technology today. Um, I think it's going to be interesting because I don't think um, we're aligned on this. We've been arguing about that for the last 25 minutes before starting this podcast. So, so with that, before we get into it, Brian, as always, let's turn it over to you. Say hello and uh, talk about what's going on with uh, with you these days and what's keeping you up at night. Well, Hadi, before we start, just want to say this podcast is brought to you by the Donald Trump for President <laughs> campaign. Deep state <laughs> stuff or deep fake stuff. Anyways, what's keeping me up at night? I got vaccinated yesterday, last night, and uh, 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 was rather excited and fearful uh, at the same time for reasons I really won't go into. But... Uh, I think it's the right thing to do, and I was just amazed. Uh, it was New York region how organized it was, how uh, professional. Uh, I had an appointment; they were on time. Everything was really, really good. I think the vaccinations are the thing that we need to do in order to get this thing under control and live with it. And I say live with it because more and more it seems like COVID isn't going away. And it's going to be relegated to other things such as flu and chicken pox and mumps that once you're vaccinated, you can deal with it. But the trick is you have to be vaccinated. What uh, disturbs me and, you know, within my own circle are the vaccine deniers or the mm -hmm. anti-vaxxers. Uh, 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 you know, it's amazing. I was talking with someone who's close to me and explaining you got to get the vaccine as soon as you can and they were not in agreement and they were citing all sorts of uh reasons uh, why they shouldn't do it for example well fauci and cdc i don't trust them they keep changing their mind and i pointed out to them have you ever had a morning where you left the house and you were dressed in a light sweater only to find out that it was cold or raining and went back into the house and got a raincoat or a bigger sweater so you wouldn't freeze. Well, you changed your mind. And why did you change your mind? Because the data you had uh, originally changed. And if you don't evolve with the changing data, you're just, that's the foolish thing to do. So I think the fact that Fauci and CDC and others have changed their mind is a good thing. Not a bad thing. This is an evolving disease. But the thing that amazed me and frustrates me to no end, and I don't know how we get around this, is that this person and 
people like that will say, well, I heard on Instagram that a friend of a friend knows a doctor who said that. But if it comes from Health Canada or CDC or Public Health or the WHO or some official medical authority, American Medical Association, that you can't trust. But you can trust Instagram and your friend of a friend who knows a guy who's met a guy who had a doctor who like that's just driving me crazy. That's my yeah, rant. That's a good rant and, and and leads us nicely into our topic of discussion because deep fakes are meant to undermine trust, public faith in legitimate resources and um and, and and basically, it weaponize it's it's a weaponization of of misinformation as as we'll we'll get into, um, and just so we're clear, when I talk about deepfake as it's sort of um, what's the word for it? defined online, it it really is in simple terms the intentional, and I'm going to harp on the word intentional yeah. uh, change or or um, manipulation of data, whatever that is, whether it be photos, videos, uh, words, uh, to to make them appear real as if coming from a legitimate source, saying a legitimate thing, but actually aren't. And we've we've read a lot about them in the press uh, in, in the last few months. Certainly, typically, you know, a good example is um, virtual reality porn sites uh, are a great example where you've got so-called celebrity nudes and they're not really the celebrities, right? What they've done is just taken the picture of a celebrity and put it onto the body of somebody yeah. else. And, and that's I can really tell you, what we're talking about. And I can tell you firsthand, that was not me on the site. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. But damn, was I good. Deny, deny. <laughs> My God. <laughs> but that, And that's really essentially all, what, what I'm trying to talk about today, deep, uh, the deep fake issues. Um, that's just part of it. And as disgusting or troubling, troubling as the porn side of it is, and it's huge, um, I really want to relate it back to business because the same way that they can manipulate celebrities' faces and put them on fake bodies, they can take CEO voices, uh, photos of your employees doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And it's becoming increasingly common, certainly with with women, unfortunately, because they're, you know, they're an easier target, for lack of a better word, where they can manipulate those photos, put them on pornographic material, and then send that out to key targets and sort of uh, try to extort them, try to manipulate them, um, even though none of that stuff is real. If they get out into the public, the potential to damage their reputations, their careers is very real. And that that's where really what, where I want to focus in on today's discussion when it comes to deepfake is what is the risk to business? Because I don't think businesses really understand the potential for this type of technology to harm them. Um, and I think that they're going to get an, a real rude awakening when it does slap them in the face because it's going to happen. Okay, well, that's you, you frame that well because I think I'm finally starting to understand. <laughs> so really, uh, deep fake is a, uh, like as we see in the criminal code, it's it requires mens rea. It yes. requires an intent, a criminal intent, or at least an intent to cause harm. Versus an incompetent boss or leader or prime minister, his intent is not to cause harm. He or she's just incompetent. So that's really the difference. Yeah. It starts off with an objective of disrupting, causing harm an individual or a business. Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm finally breaking through to you. It's only you are, 15 actually, years, yeah. but it's coming through. <laughs> well, it is, but you know what? I like. It's not... The problem is not me. It's just that you're really poor at explaining things. It's taken me 15 years to understand what should have been an easy concept to understand. So you're forgiven. 
All right. Make friends. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Let's get into this a little then. Um, you know, m my my initial thoughts would be, I mean, you think of history and, and you'll see it, it'll start come to you. Even at your age, you'll start to remember some of these things. But, you know, I it. <laughs> an example would be, you know, I could talk about the moon landings, right? People think that that was fake and they had pictures and all these things that were created to intentionally make people think that they never actually landed on the moon. So, you know, in, in a simple way, you might say, well, what's the risk in that? Well, there may not be any risk, but when you start taking that same um, function or that same application and use it towards politics, for example, we could talk about the Russian intervention or alleged intervention with the American uh, elections, you know, then it becomes real. Now you're starting to talk about governments weaponizing technology to, to basically influence your country, your, uh, your political institutions, your public trust in those institutions. And right now, we're in a world of hurt when it comes to, to public trust. The vaccine rollout has been a disaster. We all know that. And, you know, talk to anybody. I don't think I found anybody who can say, oh, yeah, I believe the government 100%. They've just destroyed that on their own. Add somebody who wants to manipulate that now, and, and it's ripe for misinformation and fake news to be spread. And that's where deepfake really comes into play. So if we go back to your definition, which finally made sense to me, that being the intent piece, and we look at what's happening in America, particularly in America right now, mm -hmm. with the politicization of masks, of the COVID response, of the all the conspiracy theories, what is the uh, motive? What is the intention behind it? Is it just people that are devil may care and want to uh, uh, cause disruption similar to teenagers on Halloween night egging a house. There's no real criminal intent. We're just having some fun to see how much disruption we can cause. Is that what we're seeing or is that going along a narrative where we really want to disrupt society? And if that is what you think, what is the ends? It's a means to what end? Well, I, I think it's, it's more the latter. I, it, we're not talking about you know, like kids on TikTok putting images in front of their faces to make their friends laugh or uh, create pictures that combine different images for the sake of, of, of a memory. Uh, you know, like the intention there is obviously to create something that's funny, that's shareable, that's enjoyable to everybody. We're talking about uh, people who basically have criminal intentions for, and those intentions can vary depending on what they want to achieve by it. this this technology is being used by all kinds of groups whether terrorist groups uh gun lobbyists right if you can create the narrative or drive the narrative that guns aren't the issue and you start pushing out information that shows that guns aren't the issue take take the the chauvin case for example depending on what angle you see that situation influences what you think really happened there. And I, I don't want to get into the whole discussion about, you know, who's at fault and all that, because it's before the courts and uh, we all know it's going to be a dog's breakfast. But I remember one person telling me, actually it was Michael Burgess, I think, who said it to me in, in a training session once, there's a reason why video isn't presented as evidence in court or accepted often as evidence, because you're only seeing any three sides of, of all the dimensions at any one time, right? Yeah. And depending on which side you're at, it can tell you a completely different story. Now, it's a little different when it comes to deepfake because deepfake people are intentionally trying to influence those those areas that you're not that you can't see for their own purposes to create a false reality so that you believe what they're telling you when in actuality it's all bull. But but at the end of the day, 
it does come down, don't you think, to due diligence? It's like, for example, the CRA fraud, okay? I think that might fall into to a degree of what we're talking mm-hmm. about here. Yep. May, you know, they're using technologies to make the phone calls to make it look like the call's coming from the CRA and not from India or wherever it's originating. But the way I've protected myself is that I do my due diligence and I've read on the CRA website that they're not going to call me to collect money in Apple uh, in Apple coins or uh, Apple cards or Bitcoin. So I, you know, buyer beware, if you will. Okay. Yeah. So other than being annoyed by getting these phone calls many times a day, I don't think unless they change the way they're doing it, they're not going to be uh, scammed. But if you bring it back to business, they're always looking at ways, you know, to trick us. Isn't it a matter then that business has to slow up a little bit? I know like in the security industry, I know that when we went to years ago, wireless technology and you and I were operating in commercial office space, high rise towers, and they were saying it's newest and greatest. Now, they weren't trying to scam us. Well, we started asking questions. We did our due diligence. We realized wireless wouldn't work in a building with steel and concrete. It wasn't what they said it would be. And then we started looking into it and we said, okay, if uh, if their intent is not criminal, but when this stuff is up in the cloud, others may take advantage of that for criminal reasons, for extortion reasons. So doesn't it really come down, Luke, to organizations being using due diligence you and I, a few years ago, were at a, a session at CSIS headquarters in Ottawa, and I learned something very interesting. And I think the presenter said, why is it, do you think, that when you buy electronics, be it a computer, an iPhone, it has to be updated and patched a million times a year? And do you think it's that Apple and Nokia and all those people are incompetent? And I put up my hand and I said, yes. And then he explained, no. The Internet of Things have created a race first to market. And the idea behind that is that we're going to get the product out there as soon as we can so we have the competitive edge and then we'll fix it along the way. So if you're doing your due diligence and if you're buying a medical device or let's say for COVID, uh, a, a vaccination a vaccine that's going to stop COVID. You have to take the time to say, to look at the science to see that it really works. Otherwise you could be duped. It could be some criminal cartel that's trying to sell you this to make a quick buck. Or the other thing is with COVID, you've got vaccines that could be stolen, put on the black market, and then you buy it. Well, how do you know what you're getting is actually the vaccine? Because there's a criminal intent there. So I guess what I'm saying, it comes back to organizational due diligence. If it smells too good to be good, maybe it's not what it seems to be. I really think that companies can do a lot more than they're doing to keep themselves safe. I think the, the, the desire to be first to market, the desire to have the newest and greatest is really what's driving a lot of this. Mm-hmm. This wasn't a problem 20 years ago. This wasn't a problem when I was a kid. And although it was a lot longer than when you were a kid, there was technology back then. I mean, the rock and the flint gun was a form of technology. Yeah, That's yeah. a joke. Insert humor here. <laughs> I, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I think we're looking at this, the problem from two different, two different angles. <laughs> goes back to the view. Uh, like, 
you're right. There's a level of due diligence that you can do uh, and and screen for issues and make sure that what you're looking at or the source you're you're sourcing is the is the right one. But what happens when like there's that intentional misleading? So you talk about vaccines, you know, for every doctor, maybe not as many, but certainly there are doctors, credible doctors out there who co contradict what the World Health Organization is saying, right? Or what the Ontario um, um, public doctor is saying. Like, so there are legitimate sources out there. And that's not really what I'm talking about when I say deepfake are the guys who are intentionally putting those sources out there to make them appear legitimate so that people believe it. And that's where, where it becomes concerning. Let me, let me use this as an example for you the, to maybe bring it home a little clearer from where, what, what my concerns are. A couple of years ago, there was a, a phishing scam that was, that was hitting people. And you may recall, because I had a, a, a lot of panicked people call me. And basically what it was, was an email that came to you, specifically addressed to your email, and basically said, hey, we know what you've been doing online, right? And oh, hold on. Let, let, let remember me just that clarify. One? Yeah, what you said came to you, okay? <laughs> you're, you're saying the, the, the every you. The royal you. Okay, thank you. I just want to The royal you. you. As in everyone. <laughs> yeah, okay. you're right. But the email basically, <laughs> and, and, and I can tell you, I got some really concerned phone calls from people saying, Oh my God, like, cause we all know what probably went on in those, in their, in their private lives. Right. And so they're obviously getting at the point that they know something like 60 to 70% of people at least look at some kind of porn and they were going to use that against the person's own um, ethical and moral conscious to say, we got you online. We got pictures of you on the, on, on the camera. And if you don't give us whatever money, uh, you know, whatever it is that they wanted, we're going to release that to your employer. That was the gist of mm -hmm. the email. Now, of course, I thought it was bullshit. And I told those people that I thought it was bullshit. And of course, it was bullshit. Those pictures were never existed. And they were using old uh, passwords that, that they yeah. had compromised from old from old accounts. So that was, a, that was a, a minor hiccup. But think for a second now, if those same people can now take your picture and put it on a compromising photo and actually call you on it. And, and when you say, well, if, you know, piss off, I'm not going to give you the money. And they actually take that altered photo now and circulate it amongst your company or your bosses, you know, your friends. That changes the game significantly. You're not joking around anymore. If those people can create a photo that looks real enough that your friends and family and employers actually believe it to be real, you could lose your job. You could, you know, it could be an end to your career. And that's really what I'm talking about. There's an intentional criminal element to altering those photos for their own personal gain, whatever that may be. So it's not just simply saying, you know, I made a mistake. I, I told you what I thought was real and I ended up being wrong. Sorry. I never intended to harm you. These guys actually do. Well, you're right. You know, things uh, that are intended for one reason like photoshop to make your life easier can be used for another reason like criminal reasons yeah uh, you, you know although this might be a relatively new challenge for people and for business it really is as old as the hills it, yeah. it, it leads to extortion yeah. and extortion by any means saying that i've stolen your bicycle or your dog if you want it back give me x 
or you manipulate photos and you show me in a compromise or photos or audio or my signature and you show me or my business yep. in a compromised situation. Yeah, you're, you're right. I, I, I think this is nothing new. Um, uh, it's extortion. It's been here a millennial. But I think what's new, to your point, is the means of conveyance. I think just like everything else, you know, uh, uh, long before we had rocket ships going to Mars, we had cavemen walking from one cave to another. That was transportation. So transportation means have been here forever. It's just evolved with technology. So maybe a way to think of this is look at a, because there's the criminal intent piece, it's a new way to be extorted. It's using technology to extort, to get something. And it's, you're right, it, businesses are at more risk than they realize. You know, an example that I personally suffered when I was a security director for a large real estate corporation is we had buildings that were compromised. The, the access control systems, elevator control systems, lighting systems were compromised, or so they said. Yeah. Okay. And then they said, which really you can't have a commercial building that has 60 floors and you can't work the elevators that will get noticed tenants will be upset and you have liability to make sure that the building works properly and really the uh, the extortion piece was that if you want us to put you back to normal pay us x amount of bitcoin yeah. and to make a long story short we did what we had to do there's an investigation but it was fake it looked real. They did compromise to a degree, but not to the degree they claimed, but enough so that they were able to extort money or try to extort money out of us. We didn't pay and they weren't successful. But it's something that's happening more and more. And I will tell you, and I would tell our listeners, and especially listeners that are operating businesses, I never would have thought, you know, I wasn't surprised when Mariah Carey and other people, part of the Sony label email scam occurred. And yeah. I'm not surprised when the FBI's website gets hacked type thing or uh, Stuxnet occurred and Western intelligence went after the Iranian nuclear, nuclear reactors. But I never for a second thought that operating a commercial office building or any office building that have tenants that are accountants and proctologists and dentists could be a target. Mm -hmm. And if those people can be a target, every business is a target. And yeah. you know what? This is a problem for everyone, people in business, but more so for business because you can't extort a million dollars out of Brian Clayman. I could probably write you a check right now for $7.14 <laughs> with my line of credit up to 10 But the real money is a business. And businesses have so much to lose. Yeah, you, you know, so I it is something that I think people aren't looking at and thinking of and taking serious enough. And that's that's all I'm saying. It, it's an old uh, it's an old method. Methodology has has been around forever. To your point, I mean, you talk about uh, you know, there's there's an old Lee Harvey Oswald photo that was allegedly altered to make it look like he was holding a rifle when he wasn't holding a rifle. Uh, we talked about the moon landings, and there's all kinds of similar types of examples through history. The difference today is that the methodology has become so advanced that it's becoming increasingly difficult to distinguish the fake from the real thing. And when you start going into crossing over to the realm of business, you know, as you were saying, 
the potential has just is is growing. In my opinion, it's becoming exponentially greater because being able to create real looking content that isn't real gives you a lot of power in a world where everyone has access to the internet. Everyone basically you're unbridled in terms of what you can do. And you know, can you imagine in the middle of of a, of a disaster, for example, um, one of our towers downtown? To your point, you got some guy tweeting as if he was, you know, one of our former employers, saying, "Oh, we've got a gas leak, or they've dumped chlorine on five floors," and none of that's happened. But they're legitimately creating panic in the city based on your brand, on your image. How do you fight that? What is your response? Uh, you know, what? How do you respond to that? What is your media management plan to combat that? Because your your message could, in theory, be be viewed as less important than the fake one. You know, it, you it know, really depends on who they believe. You fight it in a integrated, holistic way, which is not what's happening now. Yep. You know, uh, one of the services that we offer uh, our firm is we do uh, security headhunting for security managers, and as a result. I look at, on a regular basis, the job postings that are out there, the senior security leadership postings that are out there. And I'm noticing nine to, uh, nine to one, it's on the cyber side of the house. And the world has gone crazy with cyber. And what you're talking about ha certainly has a cyber component, but it has a physical security component to it. It has a uh, information management or awareness component to it, a communication component to it, an employee education component to it. So my point is that I think it's a mistake if I was a business leader and said, okay, this is real, I'm concerned, I'm hiring a, a chief cybersecurity officer and then I'm gonna call it a day. Cyber definitely has to be part of your arsenal. It's got to be in your toolbox, but not at the expense of the other disciplines, yep. physical security, uh, communications, uh, employee assistance, all those things, because I, I'm fearful of the fact that it just do. And, you know, I, I would encourage our guests one day to do a Google search and put down security director. OK, and see what pops up. It's going to be cyber this, cyber that, yeah. cyber so-and-so. Well, the cyber guy is not going to help you for uh, an active attack or an incident. The cyber guy is not going to help you when a fire happens. The cyber guy is not going to help you uh, uh, not get beaten up in the parking garage. You need a holistic approach. Yep. And listen, I'm a physical guy. I'm not a cyber guy. So on the other hand, if you just have a physical security approach and nothing else, you're deficient. You're not you're you're not properly protected. You need to do a lot of things at the same time in an integrative fashion. And I think that message is not truly understood by business leaders, by risk managers. I think it's the cyber. I hate to say it, and please don't send me all sorts of nasty <laughs> notes, you cyber guys. But it's the flavor of the month. Yeah, it's yep. almost a deep fake story that somehow that industry has evolved and become so powerful at the expense of everything else and all i'm saying is it is important it's very important you can get blasted by cyber but locking your front door and keeping the garage door the back door unlocked is not security it's fake news it's it's a placebo yeah, yeah. I, 
and we we can agree on that wholeheartedly. And actually, I'm gonna, I, I'll even use your your example of the vaccine, where you know it's the same thing. The vaccine is real, but it's not the only thing that we should be thinking about. There's economics. There's people unemployed. There's suicides. There's all kinds of things that are being considered. So, hundred percent, when you look at risk, it's got to be wholesome. It's got to be you, everything considered. You are just so you know vindictive. You just can't put, let it go, can you? No, I can't and because I don't have agree to with it. Back to the vaccine. It's put it back to earlier discussion. Yes, you are right, though. Not entirely, but partially right. Holy smokes, I'm going to take that win and I'm going to drink something. I don't even have an alcohol around me. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, I do, so I'll have one for you. A, a momentous occasion. That's good because the last time we had our one-on-one, -on -one, you thoroughly thumped me, so I'm glad I was able to get one back at you today. <laughs> it, it, it is, but you know, there. But it, it, by the way, everything you said is right. But there, <laughs> but there is an order of magnitude. And you know, if you think of your basic uh, first aid training, I think it, uh, they call it the ABCs. Yep. Before you worry about the guy's broken finger, you make sure their airway is working. You make sure that they're breathing and you make sure that they're not bleeding to that circulation and everything else can wait. Yeah. So you have to basically prioritize response. So and to your COVID analogy, <laughs> I think you're all right. But I think, you know, certain things are going to pay a, a greater dividend or yield quicker than other things but they all got to be done but they got to be done it's like an emergency management you know yeah. what what do you do at that first meeting of the emergency management team you whiteboard you say what are all the issues and you put them on the whiteboard and you say okay there's 30 things we got to do but how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time so you prioritize what you do first so you were right but don't take a victory lap because you're <laughs> wrong in the way you articulated it or you did it with the fake intention of making people <laughs> think you were right when you were not entirely right. Oh my God. All right. I'll, I'll take that. I don't care. I'm still taking it as a win. <laughs> You're that uh, desperate. You'll even take I'm, that. Yes, okay. that's right. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. I'm glad we had that conversation. That's really all I want to talk about. We wanted to keep it short and sweet. And I think we did. Uh, we did just that. Um, I, I think to your point, I think we were arguing both sides slightly different angles of the same issue you know to your point you got to make sure that what you're dealing with your resources are are legitimate they're credible they're real um but you know from my point of view i i think that business is going to be in for a, a rude awakening i think at some point it's only a matter of time if these guys are already targeting elections then why the hell would they not target general motors or tesla or some other big company that they know they can cause significant damage to by just issuing something like a tweet or a video that purports to be something that it's not. And with that, they could, you know, cost millions of dollars in damage of stock sales. You know, hey, there's a, there's a tweet saying that, uh, you know, so-and-so company is on the brink of bankruptcy when they're not. And people start flooding the market with, you know, s selling that stock. There's significant risk, I think, to deep fake technology and the users of it. Um, going forward as the technology becomes more and more realistic and, and more difficult to to distinguish from 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 false from the from the fakes you know well said and i think large corporations global corporations certainly the banks and the the large companies they have very uh, sophisticated risk groups that are looking at that but most businesses that aren't multinationals don't and they really have to look at security risk management 
They basically have to look at, uh, you know, what are the things that could threaten normal operations, asset integrity, safety of people that work or, or, or shop or, or deal with the uh, company, and what are the things that could threaten brand and reputation. And be that a guy that steals cars from the parking lot or a South Korean hacker or North Korean hacker that's coming into your organization, flooding it with erroneous information so that the decisions you make are going to be harmful or not to your benefit. That's what businesses have to look at. And if our listeners, especially those that are managing or in in-charge positions, ask themselves really, do we have a mechanism within our organization that's looking at all the different risks that we face that can cause a negative outcome? And are we properly cataloging and analyzing that? I think you'll find that most of them would say no. There is yeah. no one looking at that until it happens. And the problem is it may be too late. You know, to bring it back to COVID, to become a COVID evangelist, to wear a mask, to wash your hands, to practice the guidance, it has to happen before you get COVID because if the epiphany is once you've had COVID, then you got to hope you survive it. And it's the same thing for business. If you're thinking this isn't going to happen and you're only going to invest in strategies and countermeasures after it happens, better late than sorry, but let's hope there's still a business to protect yeah. at that point. Yeah. And, and I think as Stone Cold Steve Austin would say, that's the bottom line. <laughs> <laughs> that's the bottom line. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm uh, I'm good to go on this one, Brian, unless you want to say something else on the topic. I think it's important that, I think it's important that we raise it um, and that hopefully some of our listeners will take it away and, and give it some thought because I, I really do think there's a risk to it. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I lost you that last little part. I couldn't hear, hear everything you said, but I think this was a good episode. I really think it's one of those risks that we're sort of in denial of. And, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're making widgets or making uh, bombers for the U.S. Air Force. Everyone is at risk. And uh, people with deep pockets are at risk of getting hit in a deep sort of a way. And as you said, the guy that's at his computer at home and going to sites he or she shouldn't go to or who gets hacked is at risk for some sort of extortion, yeah. you know. So we've got to take this more seriously than we can. Uh, it's for others maybe to educate individuals, but it's for people like us to educate our corporate clients that this is real. And uh, it's not the most important thing. You know, Gursky mm -hmm. said this last week, you know, terrorism is important, but it's not the most important thing. But it is amongst the many things that you have to think of. Yep. And really, you have to do a risk analysis and say, if such and such happened, how impactful would it be? And if it would be devastating, then it should be at the top of the list. If it would be annoying, maybe at the bottom of the list. If it would be moderately impactful, maybe at the medium of the risk. But you got to go through that exercise. And regrettably, at least in our practice and in my experience, most companies only do that after they get burnt. Yep. You know, I will say... That, uh, that Cyber Instant opened our eyes and we implemented a cyber program afterwards to protect building infrastructure, okay? The question would be, or should be, why did it take an instant for that to get the attention of senior leaders? Why couldn't, it was foreseeable, mm -hmm. but it took the instant. And I think Luke and I, we both agree on this, we're sort of evangelists. Our job as practitioners is to say, hey, this could happen. And of all these things that can happen, these are most impactful, 
and let's concentrate on those. Those that choose not to do that do so at their own peril. Yeah, it's it's a it's a crappy trend in our business. Is that uh, what, is it, what is it? The further away you get from bang, or further right of bang you get, the the less uh, memory is there, and and less buy-in and support. And and I think I think your point. I saw it with cyber as well, where you know something happens and they create a cyber unit, they bring in people to to manage it. But over time, they start to dwindle away, and it doesn't become an issue because it hasn't happened in such and such a time. And and I think that that's a that's a challenge. We really, we, I don't know how to address it, but um, it's it's prem, uh, predominant through throughout the physical security side for sure. I mean, who remembers 20, uh, 9-11 now? It's a distant memory, right? It's, it's it may as well be World War II. <laughs> it, it, it's human nature. But yeah. I got to tell you, as individuals, it's hard to keep a level of preparedness all the time. When life is good, we tend to forget bad yeah. things that happened in the past. But I got to tell you something. Business does not or should not operate on that plane. Business should be risk adverse. And it should be constantly scanning the horizon, looking at the threats and risks are there, and quantifying them. And I want to be very clear. It's not that you do a threat risk assessment and never do it again. It's be part of the inventory, just like the annual book uh, audit or uh, yep. accounting protocols. Every year, we should look at the risk because it's a dynamic environment. And if we were having this discussion two, three years ago, I don't think we would have been talking about deep, deep uh, deep fake technology. <laughs> I was going to get in trouble there. Deep fake technology. Probably would have been talking about SARS or maybe talking yeah. about terrorism or things like that. It's Because it's a dynamic environment, you've got to revisit it. And again, it's like life insurance. You know, I paid $100 a month for 40 years and I spent all this money and never died. My friend never paid anything and he, you know, and he hasn't died either. So who's the smart guy, him or me? Businesses can't afford to operate like that. You've got to manage and mitigate risk. And I think, you know, our listeners and our clients have to take this seriously. And I think for most of them have to do a better job because many of them are on borrowed time. If nothing bad happens, wonderful. Okay. Yep. But if it does, you're not prepared. Look out. Look out. So with that, folks, I'm going to say deep fake. Again, if you don't uh, know about or haven't heard about it, I don't know where you've been, but I would encourage you to do some research <laughs> online or ask some professionals, certainly ask us. Um, we'd be happy to help. Um, and with that, I'm going to say sign off. Remember to visit our sponsor, brianclayman.com, for further details and information on uh, what the services he provides. And uh, we'll talk to you on the next episode, Brian. Usually Luke asks me if I have anything else to say. I noticed he didn't today because I think he wants to end it. So everyone have a great week and be safe. Oh, by the way, do you want to talk about our next episode or we want to keep that as a surprise? Uh, you know, uh, talk about it. I know we have another guest coming. Well, you talk about it. I want to keep this a surprise. I forgot oh, my God. Okay, well, in the next episode, we're hoping to have former um, privacy commissioner, um, she wasn't privacy commissioner, right? No, I, no, I think she worked the in the office yeah. with Andrew Kabuki, and I believe. That's right. Uh, Michelle Chiba is her name, and she is a fantastic personality, as you will see. Uh, lots of passion, uh, certainly a uh, champion of privacy, and that's what we'll be talking about. Um, lots of businesses run into problems when it comes to privacy, and that's because there's a lot of misunderstanding around it, uh, around what you can, can't, 
and what you should and shouldn't be doing when it comes to to protecting people's information. So that should be an interesting discussion. Uh, we've known her for quite some time. Always an interesting speaker. Very excited about uh, her being on the show because she is excited about her topic and she will make you excited as well. Yeah, she is a realist. She's not one of those zealots that my way or the highway. She understands business and she really has a very refreshing approach. So I'm looking forward to having her as our guest. Absolutely. Okay, everyone. We'll talk to you then. Take care. Bye-bye. Be safe. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening, and don't forget to protect your assets. (laughs) 